these days for buildings to have certifications that prove that a building is carbon efficient or that it promotes people's well-being. But now a new certification is aiming to rate buildings on how smart they are. This means that landlords have a standard to work towards when they're investing in technology and the digital infrastructure for their buildings. And for tenants, it means they know exactly what they're getting when they're shopping around for office space. This new certification is known as Smart Score. And in today's episode, I'm joined by two guests. Hi, my name is Eden Dweck. I'm Director of Expansion at WideScore. I'm James Janikos, engineer at ISPT. I work in the sustainability and technical services uh, division. James, Eden and I talk about what smart actually means. We also discuss how you prepare a building for future technology. There's conversation about 5G mobile technology, what it is and why landlords and tenants ought to be ready for it. We talk about messy cables, intelligent blinds, edge computing and more. I'm Rebecca Kent, and this is JLL's Perspectives Podcast. Eden, you're from the company WideScore, which rates buildings on their ability to provide high-quality internet and mobile coverage. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But for now, tell us more about SmartScore, which is your new building certification. We saw the convergence of three key things which came together and why Smart is, is becoming uh, something which landlords are looking to tackle now. The first was that the industry hasn't really been that joined up in defining what Smart is and communicating that to tenants. And what I mean by that is a building could have an iPad in reception for, for tenants to check in or for visitors to check in, and a landlord might say that's a smart building. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, uh, a landlord might have a comprehensive smart building strategy, call that a smart building. But to a tenant, they can't really differentiate between the two. Uh, on, uh, the second thing is that we're seeing um, the industry uh, has, has identified a, a knowledge gap on how to implement smart. And what I mean by that is you have real estate people um, trying to implement technology, technology people trying to understand real estate. Uh, and in a lot of cases, uh, they're not necessarily seeing eye to eye and you have two silos operating in parallel. Um, and these organizations really needed to bring these two teams together to ensure they're delivering on tenant outcomes. And finally, uh, with hundreds of thousands of dollars being spent on smart buildings, a lot of uh, landlords are now trying to identify how can they demonstrate there's an ROI there and how can they prove to investors that they're investing in the right things for their buildings. Eden, you'd better tell us how you define a smart building. <laughs> uh, we see a smart building as being not necessarily a building which has got the most technology in it, but a building which delivers on the right tenant outcomes. So if we look at what, the, what we believe the outcomes are of a building, we believe a smart building is one which is cost efficient, so it's operationally efficient to run. It's sustainable, so it's using technology to reduce its carbon footprint uh, and its uh, use of energy. It delivers an inspirational user experience and it's future-proofed, so it's not going to become obsolete. So if you take those four outcomes and you say, hey, what is the one sentence then which, which defines what a smart building is? Uh, we define a smart building as one that delivers outcomes for all users through digital technology to exceed their evolving expectations. And where outcomes for all users is really important there because uh, it's all about tenants. It's all about people using those buildings um, 
and, and, and people who are managing those buildings and owning those buildings and ensuring that technology is always uh, focused on delivering uh, against the needs of those groups. You touched on sustainability there, but isn't that aspect of real estate covered pretty sufficiently already by all the green certifications out there? But we're not here to redefine what a sustainable building looks like. We're not here to redefine what a healthy building looks like. We're here to help uh, landlords and developers and operators use technology to deliver on those targets and outcomes they set themselves around sustainability and well-being. So up to now, WideScore has been solely focused on helping building owners manage their digital connectivity and more specifically their mobile and broadband connectivity through the WideScore certification. So we know now what a smart building is, but what does a well-connected building look like? We believe a well-connected building needs to deliver on four things, and they're the four things which tenants really want. Uh, The first is they want to be able to get set up and get online on day one. They don't want to be waiting three months or sometimes even longer for their internet service provider to come into the building and in the meantime have to work off 4G dongles. They want to be able to have a seamless mobile experience throughout the building. So no matter what um, mobile uh, carrier they're on, they want to be able to use their phone for both the voice and data in all parts of the building. They want to have a resilient internet connection. So they want to mitigate the risk that the internet goes down. And if it does go down, they want to be able to get back online as quickly as possible. And they want to ensure they're paying the, they're paying the best price for the speed which they're getting. And what I mean by that is whether you're JLL, whether you're ISPT, whether you're WideScore, we've all got different speed requirements. The thing we have in common is we want to pay the best price for that. And that's usually a function of how many internet service providers are available in that building. So we think these four things are what matter to tenants the most. And if a building can deliver on those four things, connectivity just becomes seamless to that building. And tenants don't need to worry about it because it works for them in the background and allows them to be productive. And WideScore's got a pretty cool backstory, actually, um, including Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City, of all people. Tell us about that. Uh, We started back in 2013, and it was actually the idea of uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg when he was mayor of New York. He saw a big disconnect in the real estate market there, where on the one hand, you had tenants saying that connectivity is vital uh, to their business and they need good connectivity in order to be productive. But they were moving into new buildings and they didn't really know how good the connectivity was when they were signing that lease. And on the other hand, you had brand new buildings which were being developed in New York City, which looked great and in a lot of cases had very strong sustainability credentials. But uh, a number of the developers didn't really know how good those buildings were from a connectivity standpoint. And in the situations where they did, there was no objective way for them to communicate that to the wider market. So Mayor Bloomberg asked our founder, founder, Ari Barandrecht, to go out and look at creating a solution which introduces transparency to the market uh, with regards to digital connectivity. Uh, Off the back of that was the launch of WideScore, um, which first started off in in New York City. um, And since then, we've now expanded to 12 countries. James, we'll bring you in here. ISPT actually has a couple of buildings that are recently WideScore certified. Tell us about those buildings. Yeah, sure. Uh, we we got two commercial assets, one based in New South Wales, one based in Victoria, uh, that we've gone down for a WideScore certification. Uh, these are existing buildings that we currently have active redevelopment projects on. Uh, and we were keen to see how, you know, one of the buildings is 30 years old, how from a wide score perspective does that sort of benchmark itself in the industry against 
you know, a new rating system that is all about connectivity uh, and technology. And why did you choose those two buildings in particular? We could have picked any of the commercial assets. I mean, I think the opportunity was there to align it with the development. You know, for ISPT, technology is an enabler, you know, that helps reduce costs, but also is, you know, something that we can improve our customer experience on. Uh, and hence the, I guess the approach to that then was to say, well, WideScore provides an independent performance verification so that we can prove to our customers in regards to technology and connectivity that ISPT will deliver and has delivered on what we said we would. So how was the decision to proceed with and to invest in WideScore certification met with ISPT's investment team and other stakeholders? <laughs> Block your ears, Eden. Now, um, look, to be honest, we, we, we did have some rather honest sort of conversations around you know, this is another rating uh, metric, rating uh, program that, you know, ISPT would need to deliver and sort of, you know, implement and maintain on top of the various other rating systems that we already engage in, like, you know, Neighbours, uh, Green Star Performance. Eventually, the decision was to engage in the process, to understand the process. We entered this whole certification process from the perspective of this could be utilised as a leasing tool to definitely attract potential new customers to our building, as well as to be utilised in a manner to benchmark our buildings to see how they perform against something of this technology slash connectivity index. And James, what have you learnt during the certification process? I think WideScore did bring front of mind with the site teams, maybe the investment teams and potential development teams, specific items that are important and should have a bit more of an emphasis when considering the operational demands of a building. Things like, you know, allocating riser space and being a little bit more, I guess, stringent on how that comes together. Uh, it's a very important thing that sometimes isn't always front of mind when you, when you manage and run a building. Elaborate on riser space, James. What are risers? Yeah, sure. So within our, within all commercial buildings, there's a, there is a space allocated for services to run up the entire building from the ground floor or the basements to the rooftop plant rooms. So within that riser space, you will technically find uh, hydraulics, HVAC, but also we are now having more and more IT infrastructure from base building infrastructure to also uh, having... Uh, tenant internet connectivity. Okay, and so going through the certification process, how have you been able to improve the way risers are managed? I think it's just acknowledging now that we need to be a bit more mindful when we're utilising our riser space, that we, we do now definitely have allocations there for our tenants. Uh, um, I think we've always had that. I think it's now just a bit more of an emphasis of understanding, well, you know, any redundant services that are in there or redundant um, infrastructure, we are now more of a focus of having that removed. Eden, presumably good riser housekeeping is part of earning a wide school certification. So how does that future-proof a building? Well, whenever you have a tenant coming into a building, they're going to run cable up the riser. And so uh, in a sort of short amount of time, as more and more tenants move into the building and some of them vacate the building, that rises and get very, very full. And what that means is when you open the riser cupboard, it's like a bird's nest. You can't work out what is redundant cables, no longer relevant, what's cable which is being used, um, and therefore may be uh, critical to a tenant if it ever gets damaged. And so as that fills up and fills up and fills up, when new tenants come in and try to pull cable up to their floor, 
either there's no space in the riser so they can't do that or the amount of space is so limited that you're creating friction as you're putting that cable up and what that's doing is it's damaging all the other cable there in the riser so what we see and what a number of landlords do particularly well in older buildings is that as soon as the tenant moves out they get rid of all that uh, older excess cable uh, within the riser. So the only cabling which remains in there is cabling which is being used. And that's a really great way of actively managing your risers and ensuring that your buildings are, are future-proofed uh, because you're not putting at risk uh, any of your existing tenants' equipment and you've got additional space there, whether it's to install um, 5G DAS equipment, or 5G in-building mobile equipment, which we're going to see becoming more and more uh, prevalent over the coming years, or whether it's because tenants want to um, introduce additional uh, resilient or redundant cables throughout the riser. Uh, by actively managing that riser space, you're giving more uh, capacity to tenants and more optionality for them to improve their connectivity experience. And apart from risers, Eden, what other aspects of a building do you scrutinise as part of its resilience profile? So one of the other things we look at is uh, the capacity at each point of entry into the building. Uh, so uh, below the street level, um, you have uh, fibre coming into the basement. Uh, some buildings will only have one point of entry there. Some buildings will have multiple points of entry. Um, and what that does, that allows, again, for a, a resilient, redundant connection. Um, if you've got two points of entry, you're mitigating the risk that that fibre gets severed. Um, and given fibre runs at the closest level um, to the street level, uh, it is actually not uncommon for building works and diggers taking place in the surrounding areas to cut fibre coming into the building. Now, we look at those numbers of points of entry, but also importantly, we look at the number of uh, ducts or the number of conduits coming in at each point of entry. And the reason we do this is, uh, on the first thing is similar to that riser piece, is that uh, as ducts get filled up, your um, and cabling doesn't get removed, uh, you're reducing um, the number of services which tenants in that building can take advantage of. Um, but also what we're seeing more and more nowadays is that internet service providers are saying we want our own duct coming into the building because we want to be able to manage and control the quality of service. If we're sharing our duct with someone else, then um, there's a potential risk that some of their engineers might damage our further coming into the building and that will threaten the quality of connectivity experience of people within the building. Now, installing a duct in a new development is something which is relatively cheap, it's just the cost of the plastic. But unfortunately, we're still seeing more and more large developments, so things like 30,000 square meters and above, which are coming and installing only one duct into the building. So what that means is if you've got NBN coming into that building and NBN is saying, okay, we don't want to share this duct with anyone else, you also have a situation where everyone within that building needs to use the same internet service provider. And if you are a large tenant who's got a um, managed service agreement with a different internet service provider, all of a sudden you are excluded from being able to occupy that building. And that is a real risk for some landlords who aren't thinking about this holistically, because all of a sudden, five, ten years down the line, they may be excluding a whole tenant group from being a tenant within that building. And that, that is a risk for the vacancy of that building and a risk for uh, potential void periods within that building. Eden, you mentioned 5G earlier. For the uninitiated, can you please explain what 5G is and why landlords and tenants need to be prepared for it? So 5G is the next generation of mobile technology. Um, it's 
Uh, it's been around 10 years since uh, 4G was introduced, and on average, uh, every 10 years, a new generation of mobile technology is brought to market. Um, the really interesting and thing about 5G is it delivers on three key benefits, which unlock a whole new set of use cases for mobile technology. Uh, the first is speed. Um, theoretical speeds are up to 100 times faster than that of 4G. Uh, the second is capacity. So that means more and more devices can connect to the same cell tower. And uh, you may uh, have had the experience where you're at a large uh, public event, whether you're at a, a sports match or you're at a, a, a big celebration, and you have full signal, uh, but you can't actually use your phone. Well, that should be um, an experience of yesterday um, with 5G, where more and more devices will be able to connect to the same cell towers. And the final thing is uh, reduced latency. Uh, this is the delay between your device sending a signal and getting a response. Um, latency is the thing where you have a delay when you may be on a video call. And uh, with 5G, the reduced latency means that it's, um, the latency is faster than the human brain. So um, when you see something in your brain processes it, that latency or that delay um, is now longer or slower than that of 5G. So from a practical standpoint, what that means is that people can do, um, can do activities over huge distances which traditionally um, required high levels of precision. So this is things like remote surgery. This is things like autonomous vehicles. Because if your autonomous vehicle can respond quicker than the human reactions, actually it becomes safer for a vehicle to drive itself and uh, collect uh, thousands, if not millions, of data points through the mobile network. Now, over the last um, nine months, we've seen um, some of the major mobile phone manufacturers bring 5G to their devices, and we saw 5G come to the iPad for the first time. Uh, and so what's happening now is in the consumer space, people are getting used to this new mobile technology. People are seeing 5G pop up on their phone when they're in certain areas or on their other mobile devices. And so soon they're going to bring these expectations to the workplace. Now, the biggest challenge with 5G is that uh, signal operates at a higher frequency, and so it penetrates building materials um, at a much lower rate. So buildings which traditionally had uh, challenges with in-building mobile coverage on 4G are now going to have an even greater problem with 5G. And so uh, in-building mobile enhancements, whether that's the likes of DAS or distributed antenna systems or other solutions, are going to be more common within buildings. And those systems are going to need to be uh, implemented um, with more technology uh, because of that penetrating ability or lack of penetration ability of uh, the signal. You're going to have to have more equipment within your building to deliver the same level of coverage uh, across 5G. Uh, now, we're starting to see landlords thinking about what that means for their buildings, whether it's creating additional space in their MDF rooms whether it's creating additional space in the rises and on tenant floors. Um, and later on this year, we'll see um, the Mobile Carrier Forum release their guidelines um, on what the telecoms companies are looking for to uh, install their 5G DAS equipment. Um, and that's going to be the start of a big turning point in the real estate industry as uh, landlords and building owners start actively thinking how they implement 5G equipment within their assets. Thanks for such a clear and thorough explanation, Eden. In terms of building technologies, we've raced into a period of widespread contactless technology. Um, and James, presumably that's been a big consideration for you at ISPT. 
100% right in that assumption from access control to, to lift, lift call and, and, and lift control. We are definitely pursuing different technologies. I think an, an element of smart building comes into play here, but it's really breaking down the silos of these building services and, and having them integrated to uh, be able to talk and communicate with each other. So we are definitely going down that pathway of trying to improve our customer experience uh, within our buildings and, and maintain that safe and healthy uh, workplace environment. So all this new technology creates additional data which needs to be stored somewhere and accessed quickly, right? So what infrastructure is required to support the functioning of all that technology? Yeah, very much so. I mean, ISPT has been on the path for uh, the past two two years now on implementing integrated converged networks or ICNs pervasively across our portfolio, where we bring together the various building services onto a fibre-based backbone. That's come with a lot of challenges in terms of bridging the gaps between having services talk to each other and understanding their demands and needs. It's also brought to light there are definitely deficiencies in cybersecurity and the way it's implemented across some of our commercial assets, which we have been, again, working very actively on in the past two years to bring up to an acceptable standard. Data can be stored in the cloud, but also on site via what is known as edge computing for faster processing of information. How is ISPT exploring these options? In terms of ISPT and, and, and I guess our solutions, it's, it's more down to the infrastructure that's available. I think with edge computing at the moment and technology, it's rather difficult to implement given limitations. Typically, you would need to have an internet connectivity there. If it's fixed or wireless, it's going to determine the sort of solution that you can implement. Uh, technologies that leverage 5G in the future, I think edge computing is going to become far more pervasive um, and we'll see a lot more solutions in buildings that do have that ability to not only process at the edge, um, but then also talk back to more of a cloud-based solution, given that the available bandwidth and latency um, improvements that come with uh, infrastructure like 5G. And Eden, how much is edge computing part of the conversation around the connectivity of a building? So I think it's really interesting looking at sort of the, how um, data storage and how corporate or enterprise data systems have evolved over the last 30 years. It originally started everything was stored on site in your basements, in your server racks. Then it moved to everything being stored into the cloud. And now it's sort of back to this, the future is this hybrid of something sitting at the edge and something sitting in the cloud. Um, where we've seen immediate implementations of edge computing has been on that latency point. And this isn't necessarily to do with the latency of the internet connection, but the latency of processing things in the cloud. So, for example, if you've got intelligent blinds, which you can control from your phone, that needs to be instantaneous from when you're opening to closing them. If you're hosting that in the cloud, you're going to lift your finger off um, the blind control on your phone, and it's going to take maybe a second for that blind to stop. Now, that's something which is very soon has become quite frustrating. Um, just because of that delay. So things like that, so aspects of a smart building like that need to be managed on the edge. Another good example um, is around access control. 
Clearly managing access control at the edge of your network makes it a lot more resilient because you don't want to be in a situation where the internet goes down and all of a sudden everyone is locked out of their building because the landlord or the operator uh, then has a huge liability not being able to let people in um, and potentially a legal case there because people haven't been able to work and be productive. So the future is some kind of hybrid between uh, edge and cloud computing. It's understanding whether it's uh, sensitive data which you're not comfortable hosting that in the cloud, or whether it's um, data which needs to be resilient um, or access to systems that need to be resilient and therefore um, you feel more comfortable having a backup of that at the edge, or whether it's solely down to the practicalities and having something processed and managed at the edge uh, makes it more effective and delivers a better user experience than processing that all in the cloud. Okay, and James, ISPT's WideScore certifications come at a time, I'm sure, when your and your tenants' priorities are shifting in terms of what's expected and delivered in a workplace. What are the priorities now? We've had a larger focus on indoor environment and you know, whether spaces are healthy to, to be occupied. If I could just add to that, I think you know, even with the wide school process ourselves, something that we at ISPT identified is that you know, internet and connectivity is almost something that is expected. You know, it's no different to having air conditioning, it's no different to having running water. You know, people just expect that that service is available to them. 100% of the time. Uh, and when it's down, business stops. Absolutely. And Eden, a last word before we wrap up? I, I think I just finally want to say that we see the future of real estate as being one which, which is polarised. Um, and I think the last 12 months have really reinforced that. On the one hand, you've got buildings delivering on what tenants want and their proactivity and managing their assets or developing their assets to achieve that. And on the other hand, you've got buildings who are just willing to, uh, to coast, um, to only be reactive to tenants. And by the time you're being reactive and you're implementing something which has become an industry norm, you're no longer attracting the best tenants. You're attracting the tenants um, who are left and in this new world may be quite happy just working from home. Uh, and so I think there's a, a real risk for those um, landlords and developers who aren't thinking ahead, who aren't thinking what um, they need to be doing to attract tenants. Uh, there's risk of them falling behind and that having uh, significant repercussions to the value of their real estate. Okay, Eden Dweck from WideScore and James Janikos from ISPT. Thank you so much for talking to me on JLL's Perspectives podcast. No, thank you. Thank you very much. 